This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Cybersecurity threats are high on the agenda this year with various attacks demonstrating how attacks in the cyber realm can have an impact on the real world. But why are these cyber threats evolving so much? And what needs to be done to help stop them? I'm Danny Palmer. This is ZDNet Security Update. It was me to discuss the current cyber threat landscape and what governments and private sector needs to do to help stop cyber attacks is Admiral Michael S. Rogers, former director of the NSA, former head of the US Cyber Command, and now operating partner at Team 8. Thanks for joining me, Michael. So yeah, first Thank all, you, Danny. Thank you very much for the opportunity. So first of all, you have a lot of experience in this space. So how have things developed over the in recent years? Now, you must have seen certainly some things evolve during your time uh, as head of U.S. Cyber Command. Oh, yeah, both then and, and now in the three years since I've left government. So I, I, the challenge is broadly the incentives for actors, whether they be nation states, criminals, individuals the incentives are still very strong for very aggressive behavior, which is why you're seeing, we're not seeing it leveling off, we're not seeing decreases in cyber activity, rather we're seeing escalation. And, and I use the word escalation to convey both level of effort, more and more nations putting more and more resources into this. I say escalation because I look at the level of risk that nation states are willing to run. I mean, look at the Microsoft Exchange, look at Solar Winds. I mean, nation states clearly believe, many, not all, but certainly if you look at Iran, North Korea, China, Russia, they clearly have come to the conclusion that there's little price to pay for increasingly aggressive activities. And therefore they are tending to, to act bigger and more aggressively than we've seen in the past. Even though in the past, I thought they were fairly significant. And then add on top of that, you've got a whole nother dimension now with criminal activity, largely manifesting itself in the form of ransomware. But look at how criminal activity has evolved in the last three to five years. We were at five years ago, we weren't talking about ransomware. Uh, I would say even three years ago, it was there, but it wasn't really significant. Much like nation states, Criminals have been very incentivized here. There's a lot of money to be made. The cost for them is relatively low. The threshold to gain access to this criminal market is low. Um, and so you're seeing a proliferation of cyber criminal actors. Those actors not only increasing in numbers, but they are also increasing in capabilities. Um, I had never, before you get to Cassia earlier in the year, I'd never seen a criminal actor, for example, use a supply chain attack before. Why supply chain attacks generally, they take a longer time, they take a greater focus, and you've really got to bore in on a target for an extended period of time to understand it, to really make a supply chain attack vector work. That represents higher risk. And historically, criminals just weren't willing to do it. They were all about maximizing return on investment. They wanted to hit as many targets as they could using the same techniques over and over again. Um, and scale really was their 
their biggest attribute, if you will, that really incentivize them to continue. Now, as their abilities have expanded, as the tools they're using, you're seeing them even more aggressive. It doesn't matter what nation you're in. It doesn't matter what sector you're in, in terms of business. It really doesn't matter what size you are. It is just proliferating. Two other developments concern me. You're starting to see, and we have been watching this for a while in my previous life, but you're seeing partnerships now and relationships between groups and nation states. That does not bode well for the future. We got to try to break that. In addition, you are seeing a proliferation of tools and capabilities. It is almost as if <laughs> the ransomware ecosystem, if you go on the dark web or some of the more interesting uh, chat venues out there, you get actors who literally will say, hey, I'm doing this using this tool, using these techniques. Anybody want to want to copy me? I mean, you're just seeing this massive discussion and coordination. Um, and again, that just doesn't bode well for the future for us. As you say, you know, all of this, this has become much more high profile in, in recent years. You said, you know, five years ago, we weren't really talking about ransomware. And you know, there were, you know, I was writing about it at the time, but when I was writing about ransomware then, it was, here's Locky, your server ransomware, which wants $300 from someone for locking their personal computer. Now you've got ransomware groups which are asking for, you know, things like $30 million because they've encrypted the entire network of a major company. And in many cases, they are able to walk away with that money. And as you say, they, there are the resources available uh, on you know, certain parts of the internet, which uh, make this sort of thing attractive to them and relatively easy to learn and pick up. Now, we see uh, ransomware, ransomware as a service uh, kits that are available where uh, you know, someone else has basically done, done the work for them. Here you go. Just give us a cut of the money and you're off. And you know, these sorts of things are causing a lot of trouble this year. And as you mentioned, events like Kaseya and various other ransomware attacks you know we've seen uh, causing actual disruption in you know, our, our physical physical lives you know people not being able to go to the shops people not being able to get gas people you know having to have their hospital appointments delayed all of this is being caused uh, by yeah, hey, Danny, if, I, if, if i could you remind me of two specific things first one troubling development on the ransomware side traditionally or initially you saw ransomware and criminal actors really focused on locking down data or locking down the IT portion of targets networks. In the last year, you started to see a real proliferation moving from the IT arena to the OT arena. Because if you think a company will pay to access, to regain access to data and basic, you know, email and net IT network functionality, amazing. And think about what they'll be willing to pay to regain access to their fundamental ability to produce whatever their product is. So the IT segment is really is really getting interesting to me. And as we've seen, though, uh, you mentioned supply chains. Now, that's been a major part of uh, attacks this year. You mentioned Kaseya. We've had things like the Microsoft Exchange incident and the SolarWinds hack, which have all involved uh, supply chain compromises to an extent, which are major campaigns, which are, you know, take a lot of time and effort for the attackers to run. But they're obviously getting the results they want because right, high payoff. because of it, yeah. High potential payoff, no doubt about that. Yeah, it's interesting. You 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 mentioned those events. In some ways, the one that was most interesting to me was Colonial Pipeline here in the United States, because the, for the first time, you could argue, you saw a major cyber event have impact down to an individual person level. Historically, while we've had cyber events 
they have tended to be minimal in terms of impact to a broad swath of the population. And they've tended to be very, when there has been disruption, it's tended to be very specific, in some ways very localized, a particular company, a particular geographic area, a particular type of, of client or, or data access. It's tended to be very narrow in some ways. And we've been able to regain access in some number of hours, days, in a few cases, like if you go back to 2017 weeks. What was interesting to me about Colonial Pipeline was it's the first time I can remember where you had broad impacts at an individual level across a wide swath of the United States. In our case, this occurred on the East Coast of the United States. Colonial Pipeline runs energy distribution. The particular pipeline system, because it's not a single pipe, it's a system. This system runs from the Gulf Coast in the United States up towards the Metro New York area. So pretty broad swath of territory and it, it controls about, it distributes about 45% of fuel for cars. Gasoline is distributed in this pipeline network. And so because it was just, it was out for approximately a week, you know, you had in some states, particularly the further south you were, the greater the impact, huge gas lines. I mean, people trying to get gas using plastic bags, for example. I mean, I had never seen that kind of, you know, widespread individual impact. It, it'll be interesting to see, does that act as a prod to potentially accelerate a commitment and a focus on this issue? I don't know, but I'd be curious to see how that plays out. That's an interesting point because you know, these attacks keep happening uh, and there's lots of effort going into these uh, attacks. You know, offensive cyber attackers are you know, being able to spend a lot of time in these networks. Well, in, in these cases, the defenders are seemingly not being able to spot them. So what needs to happen in order for that to change when it comes to the balance between uh, offensive and defensive when it comes to cyber attacks? So the first thing I'd say is, look, what one of the takeaways from all this activity to me is that cybersecurity is much more than just cyber defense, i.e. hardening your networks, hardening your structure. That rather cybersecurity needs to include not only cyber defense, but we need to spend a whole lot more time thinking about cyber resilience. So if despite my best efforts, an adversary is gonna be able to penetrate my network structure, whether it be on the IT or the OT side of that structure, what are the tools, what are the methodologies, what are the capabilities what can I do to try to maximize my ability to continue to operate? As you saw in the, the Colonial Pipeline, it, it, I thought it was pretty damning that a company felt literally that their only option was for a week to totally shut down all their infrastructure. I just thought, guys, we have got to get to a position where we can continue to operate in a degraded way in the midst of all this. It, it can't just be the only option is we either stay up or we shut down, there's nothing in between. I just thought that is not going to get us where we need to be. So cyber thinking about cybersecurity more broadly to include cyber resilience. I think we also need to ask ourselves, so what should the roles of the private sector and what should the roles of the government be in all this? My attitude is expecting the private sector to just deal with this all by themselves. That has a low probability of success. Likewise, expecting the government to handle it totally on their own. I don't think that's really going to work. What this says to me is we historically, I'll only speak for the United States, historically we use the phrase collaboration to talk about the relationship with, in cybersecurity between government and the private sector. 
and collaboration to me, and I was, I was part of those teams on the government side, and now I find myself part of teams in the private sector. Collaboration generally was, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And as each of us become aware of activity or issues that might be of interest to the other, we will share those insights as time and prioritization allow. My attitude is what the last few years shows you is that is not enough. We need much more integration where government and the private sector, certainly in key areas, we can't do everything, but we need to be working side by side 24 seven. Not this, hey, if I have the time and interest, I'll share insights with you. Um, because if you look at, look at SolarWinds, for example, the target was government, and yet the entity that discovered the activity was in the private sector. And no, again, no, um, I mean, no disrespect to the, the entity that discovered this. Really, it, it starts with FireEye, you know, initially identifying this. But FireEye will tell you they spent an extended period of time, almost two weeks, trying to understand this and studying it. And I'm going, guys, we have got to get much faster and a much more integrated ecosystem. We can't spend weeks studying something before we decide, you know, there's something here I need to share and there's something here that we need to, to act on. I, I just, again, I don't mean it as a, that there wasn't good intent, but that's not my point. My, my point is with the speed and the capabilities that we're seeing displayed from a cyber threat perspective, continuing to do more of the same and expecting we're gonna get a different outcome I just question that methodology. And that's especially the case when you think about how you know, cyber criminals and other attackers, they're probably not in silos uh, waiting for others to, to do things. No, they will work in unison or maybe it doesn't even matter to them. There's, there's plenty of cases where there's been various groups of attackers on networks at the same time. So I suppose the question here is what needs to be done in order to make sure that uh, collaboration is better between uh, public and private in order to help uh, make uh, networks more resilient to cyber attacks, if not defend against them completely. So you're seeing the government promulgate standards to try to help not so much the biggest because they've got time, they've got money, they've got expertise. It's the mid and the small that really say, hey, look, I know this is important, but I, I don't necessarily have a huge CISO or CIO, you know, cybersecurity team to help me. Hey, I, I don't necessarily have significant expertise resident in my organization. Hey, I don't have, you know, the largest banks in the United States, for example, publicly talk about they spend half a billion dollars a year just on baseline cybersecurity. There's not a lot of companies that can afford, uh, you know, half a billion dollars in a baseline cybersecurity annual investment. So they're asking themselves, look, how can I get access to expertise? Because I just don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the expert. I don't have the resources. So I think the government promulgation of standards and tips is very important. I think industries need to partner together much more closely. In the US, there's about 17 different segments, if you will, that we, the US government, had identified as critical infrastructure, meaning were it to be significantly impacted, it would have significant implications for the security of our nation, its economic well being, or the safety and security of its citizens. Within those 17 areas, it's very uneven. Some areas I would argue are working great together, really sharing information well. Others, pretty immature. I also think one thing that really frustrates, and I used to say this when I was in government, you know, with the senior most leadership in our nation, I wanted that the pain of one should lead to the benefit of many. 
And one of the things that frustrated me is why do the same techniques keep working over and over and over again? And for an extent, we're talking years, the same techniques literally used for years. And one of my takeaways was because we don't talk or acknowledge this activity. Most companies do not want to publicly acknowledge a, a, a cyber penetration. If they do acknowledge it, they don't want to get into the details and they don't like to talk about, here's how they did it. Here's what we did. Here's what worked well. Here's what did not work well. That is not generally what you hear from companies. And so we don't get the benefits collectively. The ecosystem doesn't get the benefit and the insight of the pain that individual companies are feeling. I think we really need to change that dynamic, particularly again, start within those critical areas initially. Let's build methodology. Let's create structure and processes. Let's test them. And then let's see if over time we can expand them. To me, there is a great model. In the US, we decided that the risk presented by the potential loss of aircraft, we're in a commercial aviation accident, you could literally lose several hundred people. We decided in light of that level of risk, we needed a different model. And so for example, in the US, we use a structure that says, anytime there is an aviation accident, the government steps in, there is a formal investigation, the company owner of the aircraft is part of this, you know, the airport, the civil authorities in other nations, the manufacturer, the company that operated the aircraft, the systems that trained the, 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 the crew, the maintenance, the individuals that were doing maintenance, all of those are brought in and we tear into the accident. And then we do several things. We study it in great detail. We determine the causes and the mitigating factors. We publish them. And then we say, given that, what changes do we need to make in aviation manufacturing, in the way software is written, in the way crews are trained, in the way aircraft are operated, in the policies in place in particular airlines and particular airports? We mandate changes as a result of that. Bottom line to me, while we continue to have aviation accidents, it's an indicator of the effectiveness of that methodology. They tend not to continue to recur the same cause repeatedly over time. We're able to address problems. And then other problems arise, don't get me wrong, but we don't see the same problems causing loss of life in aviation generally over and over again. That is not the case in cyber. It's the same problems over and over again. So I'd like us to learn from some other areas personally. You do see that, don't you? You, know, you, you see how you know, there's always these lists that come out saying, oh, these are the uh, exploits and vulnerabilities being used by uh, cyber attackers the most. And sometimes you look down those lists and there's ones which are five or 10 years old and there are things which could be you know, quite easily uh, prevented against. It's, it's just not happening. And, and, and as you say, a lot of companies who, who do have incidents happen to them don't want to speak about it. I mean, in, in, in my role as a reporter, quite often there'll be companies you know, here in the UK say, They've suffered a cyber attack, their networks are down, they won't say anything else. And in, in my eyes, or in, you can say, or if you look at the evidence, you can say, this is quite clearly ransomware, but because they're not willing to say it's ransomware, you can't put that on the record yet. And once, then a lot of things gets you know, lost in, in the middle. Well, on the other hand, I've spoken to companies and organizations which have suffered a cyber attack and then have been very open about it in the aftermath. And have had you know, then people have responded to that and go, hey, this is helpful because it showed me you know, how this company was breached, 
how they reacted and you know how we can defend ourselves if this, if this happens to us and uh in the in the us there, there's a there's a push for some more openness uh, uh with that way some proposed legislation about uh, right. disclosing ransom payments i think within 48 hours uh, in order to help uh make the discussion a bit less uh um cloak and dagger and a bit more public yeah i wouldn't be surprised in the us structure in 2022, you're likely to see legislation in which companies will have to acknowledge a major cyber penetration, loss of control of data, loss of access to data, loss of ability to access functionality within the corporate IT or OT structures. I think you're likely to see some legal requirement to report that. I think you're likely to see some legal requirement to at least report ransomware payment. Now, there's still a lot of debate in the U.S. about should we outright outlaw the payment of ransom period? At the moment, I, I don't think that the, I don't want to speak for the government, but my sense is at the moment that's maybe considered a bridge too far, but I personally think over time that's where we're going to wind up. So looking forward, how do you see the, the, the threats and how organizations and government is reacting to them developing over the next few years? Because it seems you know, this year it seems to have been particularly intense for cyber attacks and cybersecurity incidents. And is it going to be more of the same going forward? Or do you think there's actually going to be a step change and organizations will start thinking uh, about this more clearly and hopefully maybe you know, get the budgets that they, they require in order to do this? So I think you're going to see several things play out. Number one, I think you're going to see a much more international approach to how we're dealing with this. One of the things that frustrates me is at the moment, it is largely, not totally, but it is largely individual nations addressing this issue on a national basis. My view is, while that should be a component of our response strategy to all this, in the end, what we need to do is create a much broader international ecosystem and framework for how we're going to deal with these challenges. Because remember, while it is via cyber, there is a physical component to this. Somewhere in the world, there is a man or woman sitting in a keyboard who is executing this activity. That means there's a physical dimension to this. That means a so there's a sovereign and a territorial dimension to this. Hey, we should take advantage of that. We should use that territoriality, that sovereignty to bring pressure to bear on these entities. Let's take away their sanctuaries. Let's, let's take away their ability to operate easily and for extended periods of time in the same countries using the same infrastructure over and over. So the first thing I'd highlight is I think you're going to see a much more, a much broader, more international approach. And you're, I mean, the, in Washington, the government actually is meeting this week, you know, with a, a series of nations to discuss that broader idea. Hey, how do we fight this in a much more integrated international way? So. Second thing I think you're going to see is, number one, I don't see the threat actors, whether it be nation state, criminal groups, or individuals, I don't see them backing off in the near term. In the long run, what we've got to do, if we're going to change this dynamic, it's a combination of we've got to bring pressure to bear, and it doesn't just have to be via cyber. We've got to bring pressure to bear on these actors out there to get them to change their risk calculus. Number two, we've got to increase not just our cyber defense, but that idea as we talked about earlier, resilience, resilience, resilience. So that even if they are successful, the impact is not that which we have seen historically to date within this cyber journey that we're on. We, we've got to become much more resilient so we're able to continue to operate. 
Because if we can continue to operate, it buys us more time. And quite frankly, it also reduces the disposition on the part of many companies to pay. If I can continue to operate, if I can at least continue to maintain some level of functionality, maybe I just don't default to, I have no other option other than to pay you the, the ransom. And again, if we make this less lucrative for criminals, you won't see as much criminal activity. I mean, ultimately, like many things in this world, I suppose, it does come down to money. And one of the reasons why cyber attacks are, you know, of all kind of ransomware, malware, phishing, uh, all sorts, uh, at least in the criminal element, is because you know, there is plenty of money to be made in this. And yeah, if they can make you know, $5 million, $10 million from just one attack out of many, um, it's, I guess it's easy to understand why they continue doing this. When yeah, it's and so high return to... with very low to reasonable risk. We, we've got we to break that. We got to lower the return and we got to increase the risk. We want to change the dynamic. Well, hopefully that will be something that does change in future. Uh, thanks for joining me on ZDNet Security Update, uh, Admiral Rogers. Uh, for more information on how to keep your network secure and from cyber attacks and resilient against potential intrusions, uh, be sure to subscribe to the ZDNet YouTube channel. And of course, there's plenty of news, articles, and features on ZDNet.com. Thanks for watching.